sometimes test optional is good. But so nailing down the testing scholarships. Well, there's scholarships that you automatically get when you apply, but there's also a lot of scholarships where you got a lot of extra work to do. Are you going to do that extra work? And if you are, who's going to do it and how are they going to do it? A lot of parents say, it's your job to get scholarships. Yeah. Well, guess what? Most students have no idea how to get scholarships. They have no idea. <laughs> and in the end, they're not going to do it because they're going to spin their wheels and they're busy, right? They've got AP yeah. this and all the tests. And it's not like they're intentionally going to say, I'm just going to blow this off. What's going to happen is they'll try and they'll try, but maybe they won't get any traction. And then you'll run out of time and you'll yeah, say, oh, it didn't happen. And then, so there's testing, scholarships, and then the financial side of stuff where mom and dad need to figure out their budget and understand, do they have a thousand a month or 2000 a month? And then do they qualify for need-based aid? Is that something that we relied on? Do they qualify for merit aid? If so, at what kind of colleges? Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. We're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. We want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, we dive into the world of college planning and financial futures with our guest, Brad. He shares his journey from being an engineer to a college planning expert, offering valuable insights into the challenges parents face when preparing for their children's education and ensuring their retirement security. Brad explains his holistic approach to college funding, emphasizing the importance of finding the right fit for your child's education and aligning it with your long-term financial goals. Discover how to strike the perfect balance between investing in higher education and safeguarding your retirement. Tune in for actionable advice and a fresh perspective on college planning. Brad, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Brad, I love taking walks down memory lane because it helps us understand where we come from it helps us reflect on what's enabled us to be here where we are today. So if you don't mind sharing where we got started, what enabled you to be here where you are, that would be fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I started out, I, I call myself a recovering engineer. So recovering. I actually went to college and earned an engineering degree and Worked in industry for about five years. Nice. And I got involved in rental real estate and then personal financial planning. And then I became a financial planner in earnest and switched careers and then moved into college planning from there. So a sharp, bright turn in my progress there. As I tell people when we're doing college planning, it's not unusual for people to switch careers and majors. And it's one of the considerations when you're picking a major. Yeah, that's really powerful because college planning is not for the faint of the heart, especially when it comes to planning the college for our children, right? Yes. Students have a ton of support for planning for colleges from their school, from the library, from the other colleges, because they want them to come and be educated in their colleges. How is it that you were like, hey, this is what I really want to go into. Was that something that you didn't have enough uh, experience with or you didn't have enough support with? Like what, why that specific area? 
as I was working as a financial advisor, I the college would come up as mm-hmm. and I realized that as I worked with families, they had a lot of questions on the subject. And I also realized that there's a lot of things you can do, but most people weren't doing it and didn't really understand it. So the more I delved into it, the more I became the expert, the more questions I got, the more questions I got, the more I needed to be an expert. And then I started doing presentations at high schools and decided to literally launch Baldridge College Solutions, which is a a specialty company where we focus on um, planning and paying for college. And then after that, I decided to get involved in podcasting. So then I launched Taming the High Cost of College, which is my podcast. Yeah, And that's when things really focused in on, I'm going to become the expert in this little niche. It's not really little because there's it's not 2 little. million <laughs> new students every year, roughly, but it is an area that it's in high demand. It's very emotional for most families in that everybody wants what's best for their kids. It's hard to define what's best for your kids, but everybody yes, thinks that they, that they, have they the need answer. to get college figured out and they have to pay for it. And if it's more expensive, it's probably better. So there's this challenge, right, of how do we make this all work? And like I said, it's just an area where most people can make a big difference if they do their planning well, but most people aren't doing their planning well. So there's a great opportunity there. Wow. So you saw the opportunity. You're like, hey, I have a problem. I keep getting these questions from my clients as I'm helping them plan their financial, being a financial planner. I should definitely look more into this stuff. And as you did, you gain more expertise as anybody does, right? The more you go into deeper into something, the better you get at it. Yeah. So as an example, when you help, when you do your own college planning and I'm there now, I've got my own kids there and I've got two in college and one that's a junior in high school. So I'm yeah. I, now I've been doing this for years, but right now I'm eating my own cooking, so to speak, where now I'm really, you know, feeling what it's like to be the parent. But as I was working through it, I started to realize that a parent would say something like my brother-in-law did this and that worked for him. Mm-hmm. And after you've done enough of these, you realize what your brother-in-law did would have worked for him, but it's not going to work for you because you're different, right? You yeah. can't base what you're doing on what on how, what other people do unless they're in a similar boat. And a lot of times if you need to have similar incomes and similar schools and a lot of similar things, and then it's a good comparison, Hmm. but a lot of times that's not true. And so there's a lot of this worked for this person. And again, it's not going to work for you. You may not qualify for need-based aid. Your income's high. Yeah. The person you were talking about, their income must've been lower because the way you explain it, they qualified for need-based aid that you're not going to qualify for. So you need to find a different path. And I think most families, it's it's very much a black box mm-hmm. where most families have no idea what college is going to cost right. until they, after they apply, after they fill out the forms, after they fall in love with the college, <laughs> at the very end of the senior year of high school, that's when you actually find out what it costs. And then very quickly, you have to pick. And that's a big challenge for families where yeah. if you have to, at that point, now a lot of times there's a bit of sticker shock, but it's too late to say, wow, if these five colleges are going to be that expensive, we wouldn't have applied to those. We right. had to pick different ones, but we didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. So now we're stuck. And that a lot of that is predictable. And yes, that's, that's where we're getting now is we've got software now that we can plug stuff in and get a feel for how need-based aid and merit aid works at sure. some colleges. It's not perfect, 
mm-hmm. but it's a place to start now where we literally can get a price tag early in the sophomore year instead of late in the senior year. So then you can decide based on what's going on. These are the types of schools we're going to pursue because this is, these are in the price ranges that we can afford. Yeah. And it just changes the process to where you're a little more control and it's not so much a reactionary deer in the headlights, hair on fire kind of experience. <laughs> now, that 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 says a lot on how you've seen the landscape of college funding and financial planning evolve and that that shows that you're constantly in the face of change like you're keeping up with the software keeping up with the technology making sure that getting the answers to the parents in a more appetizable way so to say right because right. now they they have a better understanding of what it is that's going to go into it now, right. your work also encompasses not just financial planning, but also ensuring the families don't jeopardize their financial future. Can you discuss that philosophy that guides your holistic approach to college funding? So it can be summed up with an analogy, right? If you're giving up the lake home so you can spend crazy amounts of money on college or the fancy sports car so you can spend lots of money on college, great. That's your decision, right? We all spend our, earn our money and spend it how we think is appropriate. Some of us have expensive vacations. Some of us might want to spend a lot of money on education, Mm -hmm. but there's a segment out there where the price tags are high and they're going to do it anyway. And then they're going to discover that maybe there's overspending and they're having a bit of a challenge where again, if it's going to put you in the poor house, if it's going to leave the parents or the student buried in loans for the next 20 years, that's a completely different decision where yeah. now maybe you need to understand what your alternatives are. Hmm. There's there's education available at many different price points. Now, that's so true. a lot of parents, myself included, had a great time in college and I really want my kids to have that experience. Yeah. So I'm willing to do what it takes to get them to a four-year on-campus degree. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's other yeah. options And for some kids, that would be a better option because one of the statistics that's pretty scary out there is less than half the people that start college actually Mm -hmm. finish. So Less than half actually finish. Wow. So there's lots of people that perhaps took on loans but never got the degree. And that's probably the worst situation to be in is to spend crazy amounts of money on college and then not even finish. Mm. If, If you can get all the way to the degree, then at least theoretically, you've got now some career opportunities potentially. And yeah, it, it was worth it. It was an investment. Whereas, yeah. and again, so, you know, the sound bites out there that politicians like to say is college for everybody. The reality is college is not the right path for everybody. I'm, you need an education. I'm a strong believer that you need the education, yes. but there's some of us out there that got our education from the school of hard knocks. There's yes. some of us that did technical colleges. Some of us did apprenticeships. College Stop. is a legitimate choice and going on yeah. to grad school is a legitimate choice Yeah, where it's a good fit. And that's, I think the challenge is it needs to be that good fit. And then it works really well. When it's not a good fit, there's a lot of friction and a yes. lot of failure. Yeah. All right. So that's really well said. And, and I like how you're taking that entire holistic approach but how do you guide parents in striking a balance between finding their child's education and ensuring that their own financial stability, especially regarding retirement? Because what's happening is, right, we are getting older, our kids are going through college, and then we're looking to retire. Where's the funding coming from that? 
here's the reality for most people, right? They say, I, we're trying to figure out college. I don't want it to mess up my retirement mm -hmm. and help me out. So then an obvious question is, are you on track for retirement? I have no idea. Okay. So a lot of times it's a two-step process. One is what are reasonable retirement goals and what do you need to do to get there? Mm. A lot of people might be saving three or four or five or 10 or 20% at work in their 401k. And if they've done that their whole life, they're probably reasonably on track. Now, some people didn't save much when they were young. Mm -hmm. Again, when the kids were young, a lot of times it was tough for families to save with daycare and everything else. Yeah. So maybe they're a little bit behind on retirement. So that's the first step is, well, in order to get retirement to work, whatever that means, is that is what you're doing now going to get you there? Or do you need another thousand a month for retirement? Or maybe you're well on track for retirement and you can reposition some of that for college. Yeah. But most people don't know what they should be doing for retirement. And most people don't know what they should be doing for college, but it yeah. could, it's a big math problem. Yes. And it could boil down to, you need 800 a month more for re retirement and you need 1200 a month more for college. Yeah. So I need 2000 a month to make this all work. Mm -hmm. And some families would be like, great, just got a raise. I can cover it. Other times families are like, whoa, that's a little that's a too much. Yeah. It's okay. What, which goals do we want to change? Um, but most people are not, don't start at that big picture level. Yeah. They're in the weeds going, okay, in six months, we're going to have to pay a bill for $23,000. Mm -hmm. Where's that money going to come from? Should we take yeah. a loan? Should we sell this investment? What kind of game can we play? Which is also needs to be done for sure. Right. Yeah. But that's, that's what you do after you've done the bigger planning. So there's all kinds of tactics and strategies that you can use. If you do this, you'll get more need-based aid. If you do yeah. that, you'll save a little bit on interest. If you do this, retirement will be will work out a little bit better or whatever it is. And there's so doing those things makes sense. It makes your life more efficient and you can do more with less. Love that. But picking out all those tactics, it, again, it's like taxes, right? Some people can do their own taxes and they enjoy it and they understand it and they're doing it well. Some people do their own taxes, but they're guessing and then maybe they're not doing it well. Yeah. And then lots of us have said, you know what? Taxes just aren't my thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go find someone that it is their yeah. thing and pay them to help me so that I, I'm going to take that off my plate. Okay. Same can be said around college is just people don't realize that there's opportunity in that regard where from the financial side, which I, what I help people with, but there's also people that would help your student, right? My student yeah. doesn't know what they want to be when they grow up. There's experts that work with students like that. My student needs help with their essay. Like I'm an, I have an engineering. I didn't take hardly any writing courses and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I can't yeah. really help with when it comes to an essay. If yeah. that kind of expertise is either mom and my family, or we actually had a family friend do it because a lot of times our kids didn't get along with parents, right? <laughs> Typical 17 year old does not want to have yep. Critical advice doing, from yeah, a parent. Yeah. They immediately rebel against that. So sometimes it's having an outsider involved is a better strategy. Mm. So again, so there's, like I said, there's lots of little lot strategies of and tactics around merit aid, need-based aid, and negotiating with schools and saving and investing and all the different pieces. And what really needs to happen is you need to understand 
I can get involved and do all these things, or I can outsource it, or I can listen to a podcast or read a book or, but somehow either we're going to stumble through it. And again, if you look at a typical college, it's full of students. So most people figure it out. That's not the problem. The problem is, did they just sign up for big loans because they didn't know what they were doing or did they do it? That part, we don't yeah. know. That's and most don't people know. don't share when they back themselves into a corner. Right. Because they're terrified. All right. So for parents starting to navigate college planning, it can be overwhelming and you're going through that with your kids. What are the first critical steps they should take in beginning this journey? Yes. Yeah. So I think the first critical step, first of all, is get started now, whatever now means, right? If you've got a high school senior and you're saying, oh my God, I'm late. Okay. Get to start now. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. But even if you have a sophomore or a freshman, you can think about college planning into two different ways that we can divide it up to get your head around it. One is we have what the student does and what the parents do and what you do together. So hopefully the student is writing the essays and the applications and they're deciding what they want to be when they grow up and they're doing some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. On the parent side, we've got filling out financial aid forms. What student does the application for admission? Parents typically do the applications for financial aid. Yeah. Parents have to come up with a family budget of, do I have a thousand a month or 2000 a month? Or are we going to use loans to fill the gaps and all that yeah. kind of stuff? And how are we going to be fair? And will we get need-based aid or merit aid? Are there things we can do to make that better? All sure. that kind of stuff is that's on their plate. And then what do you do together? That's things like visiting schools and trying to figure out what schools are a good fit, because obviously the parents have a vested interest in, cause they're going to be paying for it potentially. Yeah. Students have a vested interest because they're going to be there and they want to be happy wherever they go. So finding those schools that check everybody's boxes and everybody's happy, or at yeah. least most of the boxes, that can be done together. And then That's test it. planning, is your student going to do lots of testing or test mm -hmm. optional? Is your student going to chase a whole bunch of scholarships and do a bunch of extra work or are you yeah. going to bypass that? So there's some things you do together. So yeah. parents can do the parent stuff, even if the student's not ready. Occasionally you say, oh, we can't do any yeah. college planning. My sophomore doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up. And we don't even know if he's going to college and we don't, there's too much up in the air. So you can still get started. You can figure mm -hmm. out need-based aid. You can figure out merit aid. You can learn the jargon. Maybe you can do some visits. Maybe it's too soon, mm -hmm. but you can start learning about the process because it is a process. It's the very first time you have to do taxes. It's a lot of work. And some people just say, I give up and they never have done taxes, right? They just yeah. automatically, but some of us struggled through it and worked at it. Yeah. So that's so, one way to look at it. And then we have what would be early stage versus late stage. So mm -hmm. early stage is I've got a two-year-old and a seven-year-old, whatever. College is coming. Maybe we should plan. But you really don't know what kind of college. You don't know what the system's going to look like when you get there. But you want to put it into the plan. Mm -hmm. So now you're just talking about, well, should I be saving and investing now? Yeah. Or... Again, the size of the house you choose now, when you have the seven-year-old, determines how much money and how much available cash flow you have Right. when you have that 17-year-old. So some people, they learn how to spend every penny they make, and then they discover that think, college wasn't in the plan. And they go, oh. I think they have to learn to do that. That <laughs> Learn isn't exactly the right word. They accidentally, and I think in most cases, that you just naturally happens, but Yes. So then when you get to late stage, now it's all the extra stuff. You might have a big pile of money and say, we've got all the money we need to pay for college. Great. 
you still got to do college planning because mm -hmm. how do we use it efficiently? How do we pick yeah. a school? Yeah. Are we going to qualify for need-based and merit-based aid? Because you don't want to waste the money just because I can't afford to pay full price. doesn't mm -hmm. mean I should. Right. And so there's that process. So late stage starts, you know, freshman, sophomore year in high school, ideally. And that's a big change. A lot of parents out there, when they did their own college planning, they didn't think about it much till the end of the junior year or maybe right. even into the senior year. It's getting more complex. And I think that's too late for most families where yeah. if you can, you try and use most of the junior year and most of the senior year at a minimum. If you're a business owner, if you've got blended families where there's marriages and divorces and complicated things like that, if you have a student that's looking and talking about, I might go to California or I might go to Texas or I might go, all those more complicated things mean you need more, you're going to have more to do. So mm -hmm. you want to start earlier. Yeah. If it's, I'm just going to go to the, either the local community college or the local state school here in town. And that's all I'm really going to do. Yeah. That's a little simpler, but for a lot of people, we've got inheritances that we need to figure out, or we've got, again, multiple kids or twins, or mm. we've Lots got to deal with our ex to try and make this work or whatever. And all of that, that makes it all more complicated. So then yeah. more time, more learning. Uh, you know, more, more opportunities, right? Business owners have some unique strategies that other people don't have. That's mm -hmm. good, but it's also bad because now they have to learn about all the unique strategies <laughs> that they have that other people don't have. So talking about unique strategies, what strategies would you recommend for students and parents in identifying and securing scholarships that might go under the radar? Right. I think one big one is tax planning. Mm. So we all pay taxes, but there's a lot of tax breaks around paying for education. Again, the politicians put feathers in their cap every time they make it a little better tax-wise when it comes to education, because mm -hmm. everybody's happy then. So making sure you you know save the right way. There's uh, credits. Business owners could set up tuition reimbursement plans for their employees. Mm -hmm. So again, mom's a realtor. She works all by herself. She's self-employed. She sets up a tuition reimbursement plan for her employees. Guess who goes to work for her the next day, right? Her son or daughter. Yeah. And they these kind of plans exist in the big companies, right? If you go to this big company and they say, yeah, we'll pay for school if you go back to school. If you sign up and pay for it yourself. And then if you get an A, we'll reimburse you 100%. And if you get a B, we'll give you 80%. If you get a C or less, we're not going to pay or whatever the plan is. Yeah. Mom can set up that exact same plan for her employees and say, okay, if you get an F or better, I'll reimburse you. And then obviously your son is working and then you set that up and that yeah. works. And that's tax deductible to the business, tax free mm -hmm. to the student. Now you have to be careful because there's some attribution rules where the student might need to be 21 or older to make it work. So that it's not, again, you got to learn how it works and gotta learn the ropes, understand yeah. the rules and abide by them. But it's a great it. opportunity for business owners that standard folk don't have it. You can also hire your kids into the business and pay them to do whatever needs to be done. So my kids in the past have done things like laminating. My older boys are very into computers. So they've built all the computer systems for my office and that kind of stuff. And they got paid well to do it. And that helped me tax wise. I, I didn't, I pay them. It gets a tax deductible to me. They get paid, it, they have to pay taxes on it. But again, yeah. they're students, they don't pay taxes because they don't earn enough. Mm -hmm. So in the end, it, it's a tax leverage where we can you know, work on that. 
And oh. there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff here to unpack. And I think you're doing a really amazing job in sharing that knowledge through your podcast, Taming the High Cost of College. Now, it's been a resource for a lot of people. What inspired you to start podcasting and how has it augmented your outreach? Yes. Yeah. So the, that story, that's in it. I don't know, it was about 2014, 2015, somewhere in that neighborhood where you know, in, in a lot of the, a lot of the metro markets of radio yeah. on the weekends, they're on the AM stations, they have an hour block where they have the retirement guy. And then that's followed up by the mortgage guy. And that's followed up by the, the health and wellness guy and whatever. Sure. Right. So all these various businesses have our shows where they talk about their expertise. And I wanted to do that. So mm-hmm. I got involved with a local radio station and it was very expensive and you pay to be on those shows. They're not paying yeah, you. Not and paying you. <laughs> they couldn't give me a, a slot, right? They were giving me the leftovers here and there, but they couldn't say you get Saturday at noon or something. That wasn't available at the time. So I was paying a lot of money. I was getting bounced around. I was getting frustrated. So I heard of this internet radio thing. Mm-hmm. And this was back in 2013, 2014. So I started exploring that and I discovered podcasting and then I and the rest is history, rest right? Is history. But I didn't really understand what it was. Now, most people have at least heard of it. Lots mm-hmm. of people listen regularly. Yeah. And But I was an early adopter when I discovered that it existed. It's, wow, I like this. And personally, I've been doing listening to podcasts ever since mm-hmm. then, because some of the podcasts I listen to are how to podcast. Exactly. <laughs> and how to do a business and how to market yeah. and some of that stuff. But then I also get into the the fun stuff, the audio books, the um. I like Planet Money and some of the mm-hmm. the Economist and some of those types of shows where it's more entertainment or infotainment maybe as well. So it's both work now and pleasure yeah. in the podcasting area. Can you share one of the podcast episodes or guests that was that has resonated that has resonated profoundly with your listeners and why? There's a few out there. I think a lot of them that resonate would be the ones that kind of speak to your situation. So there's a couple of good podcasts on the gap year, right? Mm-hmm. Just a small, right now, a small percentage of kids decide to do some sort of gap year. Mm-hmm. And again, so at your local high school, there's may or not may not be a lot of people that have a lot of experience with gap years because a lot of people don't do it. So you yeah. feel a little isolated. So you listen to a podcast about gap years and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is a thing. Lots of people do it, maybe not at my high school and maybe not mm-hmm. the people I know, but there are people out there that have done it and I can learn about it. And so I've had a couple of gap year experts that I think have really resonated. One that resonated with me was a, a study abroad program called Semester at Sea, where mm-hmm. instead of studying abroad in a country, you study abroad on a ship nice. and that ship takes you to seven or eight countries. So it's like a combination cruise in college. Yeah. College. I thought that was interesting. And then there's a lot of good stuff around athletics. And so lots of stuff intersects with college planning from yeah. investing in that kind of stuff to, you know, family politics and raising kids and certainly all the finances and all yeah. kinds of good things. Man, I've, I've had a ton of fun talking with you, Brad. Let's look to the future, giving the fluctuating economy, economy climate and shifts in education. How do you foresee the future of college funding changing in the next 
decade. Hmm. Yeah. So I've, I haven't been saying it because I'm, I feel like education is due to be reformed because it's been the same way for a long time. 150 years. But it's slow to change because there's, as, as I mentioned earlier, right? There's lots of people there's like me that say, I really love my undergrad. I'll do what it takes so that my kids can have the undergrad. Yeah. But if you look into adult education, there's a lot of varying variants and options, right? Where you can do it online, you can do it in person, you can do a combination. You It can meet on weekends, it can meet on weekdays, it can be evenings, yeah. all kinds of, and they're catering to all the different types of people out there and all the different opportunities. Whereas the typical residential go to college, mm-hmm. they still feel like they're the boss, right? Yeah. You come to my place, my, our institution, this is the way it's going to be. And if you don't like it too bad, right? There's, if colleges had to compete on customer service, they'd all be out of business. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have zero customer service because they have you over a barrel and they know it. Yeah. We've all, maybe now anybody that's dealt with college, but have the older kids and you, the bill's not right. Who do you call? Nobody ever picks up the phone. You can't find someone that knows what's going on. It's always just like dealing with the cable company or some other places that have you over the barrel. You don't have a choice. And when it comes to the cable company, you take the one that you have and they know that too. So Mm -hmm. they don't have to compete on service either. So I think there's some of that going on. So I think that may get cleaned up as there's more options, but even now there's starting to be some certificate programs. One of my podcasts was where they're experimenting with a three-year degree instead of a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. And they're not just taking four years of material and squeezing right. it into three years. They're yeah. redesigning it from the ground up and saying what's important, what isn't, what should be included, what shouldn't be. Yeah. And they just making it a little more efficient so you can get done in three instead of four. So they're piloting that and that, that was interesting. So we're watching, seeing how that will go. Yeah. I was at a presentation where the one of the top people at Stanford was saying that at continuous learning is going to become just in time learning is going to become perhaps more of a thing instead of sitting in class for four years where they teach you physics and English and all this stuff. And in the end, I studied all kinds of calculus to get my engineering degree. Haven't done calculus since. Why is it, does it need to be that way? I don't know. Some argue that yeah. you need to learn how to learn and that's a good thing that to have to go through and it's yeah, maybe, but there's lots of people that say, why would I bother with calculus if I never, ever going to use it? And so they're trying to find that balance of, and I think there's changes underfoot as far as how quickly will it come that it's a tougher call Yeah. right now. People talk about college getting more and more expensive. It's not getting more and more expensive. Like it used to be, hmm. they're still raising the prices, but a lot of the colleges are also raising the scholarships and the other pieces of it. Because it's tapped out where people are not yeah. finally saying, if it's that much, it's too much and I'm not going to yeah. come. So they finally got to that point where even people that really value it and want to send their kids can say, yes, I really want to do it, but that's ridiculous. That That's too much. So now they say, so now they give discounts. So the net price of college is going up a lot closer to inflation or even under inflation. Through the pandemic, colleges were really rocked really hard where they're actually, their net prices went down and now now they're coming up, but they're not keeping up with inflation right now. Yeah. yeah. Example. And I think it's going to squeeze some of the colleges and we've seen some closures and we'll probably see more as it consolidates. Wow. Um, Again, because they're slow to change because in the past they've always had been, had the upper hand, right? Do you want it? 
you know, and the high end schools will continue to be that way. Yes. This is the way we do it. And if you don't like it, don't come because we've got, we've got 30,000 applicants for 2,500 spots. So either you like it the way we offer it or next, (laughs) but a lot of other schools are saying, how do we fill our classes? What do we need to do to make it work? And they're going to look at some of the innovation around internships and public-private partnerships and all, all the things that could be done that make would make things better yeah. or at least different and versus it saying it's all the same. It doesn't matter where you go. There will be some differences potentially in the future. I love it. All right, Matt. This, been, this has been really powerful conversation, learning about college planning, learning, learning about financial planning and how to balance all of that and looking into the future where the colleges have to literally have competition now as opposed to not having any let's take a quick break and when we get back you can share three hacks to share for our audience our parents listening that can then better uh, get into the mode of planning the college for their students are you ready to amplify your business spi pro is your gateway to elevate your entrepreneurial journey offering cutting-edge education immersive training, and interactive collaborations. Whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned pro, SPI Pro is the community for you, providing you access to professional networking and advice to accelerate your growth. To join, head on over to hacksandhobbies.com forward slash SPI Pro. Join SPI Pro and transform your unique journey into a success story. Again, head on over to hacksandhobbies.com forward slash SPI pro. Hey guys, welcome back. We've been talking with Brad Fallridge and talking about college planning, financial planning for parents to understand and have support so they can plan with their students, with their kids for college and their future as well. And Brad's got an amazing podcast that talks about that. It's called The Taming. Where is it? The Taming. It's called the Taming the High Cost of College, and he's been sharing a ton of resources on that podcast, so be sure to go listen to it. But Brad, he has some special tips that are condensed for us and that we can take action to. Uh, Brad, take it away. Yeah. So I guess the first tip is start early, and whether that's early in the early stage or early in the late stage. By the end of the junior year, you need to have a school list you're proud of, test scores you're proud of, an idea of what you're doing around scholarships, and kind of just ready to go. Because in their senior year, you're going to have to fill out applications for financial aid, fill out applications for admission. So the first hack is don't waste your junior year. The college sets a lot of deadlines senior year, but they don't really tell you what you have to do junior year. You have to tell you what you do junior year. So you have to lay out that plan. So that's the first thing is early in the junior year, start thinking about how many times are we going to take the test or if we're going to go to test optional. And there's nothing wrong with test optional Mm -hmm. other than sometimes it's a mistake where it's maybe I should have taken the test because maybe that would have been better in my situation. So understanding when it's a good idea and when it's not, and it depends on the schools you like and how well your student will test, right? If they're a good test taker, you probably want to do it. If they're a bad Mm -hmm. test taker, you might still have to do it because the colleges you're interested in require it. So you don't have a choice. 
Sometimes test optional is good, but so nailing down the testing scholarships. Well, there's scholarships that you automatically get when you apply, but there's also a lot of scholarships where you got a lot of extra work to do. Are you going to do that extra work? And if you are, who's going to do it and how are they going to do it? A lot of parents say, it's your job to get scholarships. Yeah. Well, guess what? Most students have no idea how to get scholarships. They have no idea. <laughs> and in the end, they're not going to do it because they're going to spin their wheels and they're busy, right? They've got AP yeah. this and all the tests. And it's not like they're intentionally going to say, I'm just going to blow this off. What's going to happen is they'll try and they'll try, but maybe they won't get any traction. And then you'll run out of time and you'll you're say, oh, it didn't doesn't. happen. And then, so there's testing scholarships and then the financial side of stuff where mom and dad need to figure out their budget and understand, do they have a thousand a month or 2000 a month? And then do they qualify for need-based aid? Is that something that could be relied on? Do they qualify for merit aid? If so, at what kind of colleges? Yeah. So all that stuff needs to be worked through junior year so that you can focus on senior year activities, senior year. Nice. So I would say that's, you know, probably number one. Number two is really understand the finances. And then make that decision. Either you're going to figure it all out on your own or you're going to get a course or hire an expert or, but just like taxes or your own financial planning, or a lot of times that's, as I'm working with someone, they don't have a financial planner, but they say things like, yeah, we've been thinking about getting a financial planner for a few years now. Our life is getting complicated enough. Our income has climbed there's more moving parts and college uh -huh. and everything else. It's time to get figure out a financial planner. We just haven't yeah. done it yet. So make some decisions around, again, who's going to do it? How are you going to do it? And then understand, the you know, last thing is this is a process. You don't make a college plan and then execute a college plan. Right. You make, this is what we know. This is our plan for the next few months. We're going to go visit. We're going to do this. We're going to explore that. And then based on what you learn, you're going to say, oh, I didn't realize I could do that. Or I didn't understand mm -hmm. that, but now I do. So now we have to change the plan, right? Yeah. Your student goes and looks at three colleges and they say, I love them all. Okay, let's find more colleges like the ones they love. Or they come back and say, I hate them all. Oh, yep. well, let's completely change our focus. Then what are we trying to do? And that's not unusual, right? That's the other, yeah. I yeah. think, challenge is a lot. Most 17-year-olds don't really have a path. They don't, it's... Again, a lot of them do, but many of them don't. And I think that's another tidbit, right? Is yeah, many parents that had a focus. I was always an engineering student. When I was in high school, I don't know when I learned about engineering, but as soon as I learned about it, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. Yeah. My daughter, on the other hand, has no idea. And it's getting to the point now where it is holding things up. And it's I have to remember that just because I had a focus and I knew that doesn't mean everybody does. And I've, I've yeah. dealt with enough parents and enough students to realize that the norm is they don't really know what they want or where they're going. So got to bake that into the plan and be able to roll with it. Yeah. And then if you need to pull in an expert that can help you with it. <coughs> I guess those would be my three tips. Those are very powerful. No, I love those. Those are exactly what we were looking for. And now let's jump into the rapid fire questions that I love to ask my guests. Number one, what is the one hobby that you wish you got into? I got licensed for scuba diving and then mm -hmm. never actually did real scuba diving. So I had, I did all the hard work to get the license yeah. when I yeah. was 
like hey, surely out of college and haven't been back <laughs> since. And it's not like I was, a, I'm afraid of it. It just didn't sure. ever work out. So that, yeah. that's a frustration of mine as far as hobbies. And very skiing is the same thing. Once mm -hmm. I had kids, skiing stopped and we just never got back to it. But yes. So Number I guess two, that would be those. Those would be the two hobbies that you wish you spend more time with. Yep. Nice. Number two, what did you want to be when you were a child? Hmm. Engineering was my focus at a time when I was serious about it. Prior to that, I had some astronaut type dreams when I was yeah. really young, but yeah, yeah, I didn't, like I said, getting into the technology and the engineering was always something that I was, I've always been a math and science kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And I think my challenge wasn't, and what should I be an engineer? It was more like which field of engineering. Yeah. Or maybe it should be PhD in something or, but no matter what, it was going to be science, technology kind of stuff. Nice. Number three, what is your favorite movie or TV show? Hmm. Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings and Lord of the Rings. Favorite book, <laughs> favorite movie, favorite TV show. Nice. They do have a TV show, right? They do. Yeah. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. So nice. Game of Thrones is in there too. I just like, like Lord the science Rings. fiction and fantasy my whole life. Yeah. yeah. Goes with the engineering geek stuff. Been sure a geek right. my whole life. <laughs> All right. Number four, what movie would you choose if you got to play a character in it? Ooh. Interstellar or some of those oh, again. Yes. Interstellar yeah. sounds really amazing. That last scene, the music, the soundtrack, like everything about that movie was really powerful. Yep. Next I, up. Yeah. You want to add something to that? All right. Next up. Who is your favorite superhero? Oh, golly. I've, I have I actually have a little bit of an aversion to superheroes because they've taken over the, the Cinemaplex. And so, <laughs> I'm, I mean, there's so much going on with that, mm -hmm. that. I feel like I got to watch movie, the movie I missed nine years ago to understand what's <laughs> what happened eight years ago. And then I'm, I'm behind by 47 movies now or sure, whatever. Sure. But I really enjoyed the old Batmans. Mm -hmm. So I like Batman. I have a hard time with some of them like Superman, where it's just, sure. why didn't he do that at the beginning of the movie? And we could have saved <laughs> ourselves so much time. <laughs> no. But well. yes. It's a question of wisdom, right? You don't get the wisdom till you've already gone through the journey. Oh, I should yes. have done that. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. If you were a board game, what would it be? Ooh. Side. That's an interesting board game. I'm a board game geek as well. So oh, nice. So there's Scythe and I like Agricola or Agricola. I said, I don't know how people pronounce that one differently. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and I love a lot of those strategy. Nice, man. I love it. Uh, yeah. Thank you. No, those are, I'm going to have to look up those games because I have not heard of those either. I have not heard of them before. Yes. Yeah. And board gaming is a, again, there's a podcast about that, of course, and many. And there's just a huge, huge community around all these interesting board games. And there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff out there for people that, and it's nice too because it gets you off the computer and it gets you interacting with friends and a board a good board game night i still i enjoy a lot yeah i love it brad thank you so much for your 
wisdom, your time, your energy here on the podcast. We really appreciate the tips you've given, the journey that you've gone through to teach and share your knowledge and help parents figure out the college planning debacle. You're the expert in that space. So thank you so much for all that you do. Until the next episode. Thank you so much. Congratulations, you made it to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening to our guest on this episode. Please send me an email at junaid at hatsandhobbies.com to tell me what you loved about our guest today. You could find links mentioned in this episode on the hacksandhobbies.com website.